Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Lord in heaven, we stand in awe before you. We fall at your feet. We kneel in reverence and respect and awe of you. Keep our eyes fixed on you and send your spirit to be with us here in this place at this time. Pour your spirit through our pastor and our leaders. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, and open our minds that our soul will receive a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, once again, uh, good morning and welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. If you've been here since before the countdown, you've heard that several times. We mean it sincerely. We're thankful that you're here. I want to say a special thank you this morning to everybody who makes it possible for us to do this live and also online at the same time. You guys have no idea. There's people in several different rooms walking back and forth, training, extra training. It's, it's just so big of a deal, but uh, it's, it, let's thank them. I really appreciate it. Uh, it means so much to us to be able to still share with the people who can't be with us physically right now. Uh, the last several weeks, just real quick catch up, and then we're going to officially jump back in. Uh, this, we have been looking at how we need to be the body of Christ more than ever before. We're going back through what the scripture actually says about what God wants his body to do and how we function, and then we're trying to measure everything we do against that. What are we getting right? Let's lean harder. What, what do we need to fix? Let's fix it. Uh, three things that if you missed it, or just to make sure you've got these as your foundation, and then we're going to really start. First thing, the Holy Spirit gives every single one of us a gift. Every single one of us has a spiritual gift. Some of us have more than just one. He's in charge of that. Our job is to play the part that we're given. Our job is to find out what gift that is and to use it for his glory. Second big thing we've walked through already is that we need to build up the body, that we need to work together to help each other grow. We encourage each other. We build the body of Christ. The third one, this is where we went last week, is God's big dream is not just that we exist as his body or that we get strong as his body, that we have all this potential as his body, but that we actually function as his body and get some work done. And no matter what, that work is always going to include some meeting some physical needs. So are we good? Everybody got that? Okay, now we're going to officially start where we're at this morning. Imagine we're all on a hike. Uh, we've gone several miles already, and now we're getting ready today on this hike. We're going to dip our toes, just barely dip our toes into some pretty deep theology along the way. But where we're heading is this very simple idea, care for the sick. And we want to do this, as always, from a biblical perspective. We're starting from just looking at what the scriptures actually tell us and then trying to measure what we believe, what we think, what we do against that. In Matthew chapter 25, this is a passage we're coming back to several times in the next several weeks. Jesus tells us two stories 
about people being held accountable to use what they've been given for the purposes those gifts were given to them. Then he gives us one extended metaphor, and that's the one we're really digging deep into. The two stories, it's pretty clear he's talking about God and his people, but the extended metaphor he straight out tells us it is. He says that when he, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the King of Kings, when he comes back, he's going to separate his people like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He's going to put some on the left and some on the right. And then reading out the New Living Translation at this point this morning, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For, I'm gonna, there's ellipses there, those little dot, dot, dots, you're gonna see those a couple times. There's actually a list. I'm just gonna say this once and, and then we'll move on. We're focusing on the care for the sick today. So there's actually a list. What he actually says is, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. There's a long list of things there, okay? But we're focusing today on the sick. So, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was sick and you cared for me. Okay, you ready to dip your toes in that deep theology for just a second? There's two things there. And it's, uh, as with most things that there's sometimes controversy about, the secret to finding some sort of unity and answer in it is to see that it's a both and thing, not an either or. Most of the time when we end up fighting each other, it's because we try to make things an either or situation instead of a both and. And the scripture is very clear here, both and. You see that God has prepared this thing from the creation of the world. That sounds like predestination. But if you make it an either or situation, hardcore predestination theology says God planned every single thing. He knew what you were going to wear today. He knew which pair of socks. Every single sin you've committed, every single, every single everything was planned out by God before the creation of the world. On the far end of that are people who say, oh no, God's like this cosmic clockmaker and he sets everything up and then we just have all these choices and he just rewards us or punishes us accordingly. The scripture says both of those things. Okay? It's not an either-or situation. It's kind of like me and my boys. This is one of my favorite pictures from back in the day. You can see how old that is, of how small Justice is. He's way taller than me. But I love this picture. This is the top of um, a mountain we climbed together, and it just kind of is a symbol of how this works. My boys did not choose any of the gifts I've given them. They've not chosen any of the things I've tried to teach them. They didn't have anything to do with how many extended family and so many of you guys as their extended family have invested in them and blessed them all these years. There was so much intention, so much predestination, if you will, in, in, into where they are today. But you know what? Especially the older they all get, the choices are all up to them now. It's both. And that's how the kingdom of God works. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Drop the mic. Right? But look at the very next verse. 
For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's both. And notice that all of the sheep and all the goats came in together, all of them thinking they were his flock, but he separates them at the end. And as far as we can tell, the only difference is the sheep actually did what they were supposed to do. That's not enough to save you on its own. There's nothing we can do to save us without the grace and the mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But in that context, there's also something that's up to us. And that is what Jesus is trying to say in this story. It's, it's not either or, it's both. Does this make sense? We, okay, let's take our toes back out of the deep waters. We got a little bit more hiking to do. Here we go. Again, Jesus says, for when I was sick, this time I'm reading from the Passion Translation, for when I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, when did we see you sick and tenderly care for you? And the king will answer him, don't you know, when you cared for one of the least important of these, my little ones, my brothers and sisters, you demonstrated love for me. And I'm always well aware that when I'm speaking, there's probably many people in the room that know Jesus even better than I do. And I've known him all my life. I respect that. But just in case there's people that don't know Jesus, you, you misunderstand this. I want to make sure you understand this. When Jesus says the least of these, that phrase is not talking about his opinion of them. He's acknowledging everybody else's opinion of them. Jesus was relentlessly good and kind to the marginalized people of his day. In a day where women and the poor and foreigners and especially Samaritans and anybody with a physical disability and especially tax collectors. All of those people were hated. Jesus treated them just like people. He treated them like he treated everybody else. He expected them to play by the same rules to, uh, uh, to, to take him up on his offer just like everybody else. He treated them with respect and with love. We see two examples of these back to back in Mark chapter 2. And then your bulletin insert, uh, actually not the insert, it's actually printed here. There are so many scriptures this time. I'm barely hinting at some of them because there's just, there's just too much. But I hope you go back and read this. Two little stories back to back that show us how Jesus treated what, we, what he calls here, quote unquote, the least of these. One is, they, his, some friends of a paralyzed man bring them to him. And it's this big spectacle of a scene. I think you've heard that story before. But what I'd like you to notice is the first thing Jesus does is to look this paralyzed man in the eye and speak to him as a person. And the first thing that he deals with is to forgive his sins. Not to say, oh, wow, you're paralyzed. What a terrible, terrible thing. He acknowledges him as a person first. That's how Jesus treats the least of these. And then the, maybe the very next day, it's the next thing that happens in the story. It's right there in the same passage. He's walking along and he calls Matthew, who is a tax collector. And everybody else sees nothing but a tax collector. But he sees a man named Matthew. And he knows that one day this guy is capable of telling his story in a way that would actually especially appeal to the Jews. The people that hated him the most. And tell them that he was the Messiah. 
Jesus saw through all the labels, all the hate, everything. That is how Jesus treats the least of these. And in this passage, when he uses that phrase, please don't miss what he's really saying here. He's saying how you treat the people you think are the least of these is how I count you treat me. Does that make sense? Everybody getting this? It's so important that we understand this. Jesus is not putting anybody on different tiers, but he's saying whatever tiers you put somebody lower than you, treat them like you would treat me. So how do we treat him? How do we treat the people that are sick, especially? As I've poured through the whole scripture, I've read, I've studied this, this is, this is what I'm seeing. Three things that God offers and three things that he wants us to offer. Say it with me. We must offer empathy, comfort, and healing. One more time. We must offer empathy, comfort, and healing. All right. Dip our toes in the deep stuff again. Ready? Here we go. To really understand God's perspective on sickness and how to handle it, we've got to take a really bitter pill together here at the moment. Okay? I hope you can do this with me. It's scary. I don't really like it. I wish I could say it was different. But as far as I can tell through scripture and all, all the experiences I've ever had in my life, I really believe this. God does everything, everything, everything. God does everything from an eternal perspective. And because of that, physical sickness and health are not his first priorities. He does everything from an eternal perspective and physical sickness or physical health are not his top priorities. They're not as high on the list as they are to us. He understands, he empathizes, he comforts us, and sometimes he heals. Sometimes he brings an even deeper sense of healing even when he doesn't heal us physically, but to him it's different. And that's where the rub is. That's this hard thing that we're going, if God is a good God, wouldn't he just heal everybody? Yeah, but he sees more than we see. That doesn't answer all the questions when we're sick and we're saying, God, can you please just make me better? That doesn't answer the questions when we say, God, please heal this person. And we know he could, but he doesn't. That doesn't answer any of those questions. And yet it's a truth that... Unless we understand that truth, none of the rest of this makes sense. So I, I, again, God does everything from an eternal perspective. However, Jesus and God and what he expects from us, Jesus always met people where they were and gave them what they needed most. Even though he saw everything from an eternal perspective, he always met people and ministered to them in the moment. Sometimes that included physical healing. Sometimes it included emotional or other kinds of comfort. Sometimes it, it was just empathy. He just cared about them. But one way or another, we see those three things, and those are the three things he wants us to share. Here's a couple more examples from the life of Jesus. If you've got wide open eyes this morning, you'll see all of these things in both of these stories. Uh, first is Jesus heals a man in a pool or near a pool. It's in John chapter 5. You probably heard this story. This man had been paralyzed again. I don't think it was his whole body, but he, he couldn't walk. He'd been there all his life. People would bring him every day, hoping that he could get into the pool and be healed. They thought the pool had magical powers. Well, Jesus shows up to this guy. Again, you should read the whole story in John chapter 5 later. Okay, don't take my word for it. 
But he shows up and there are crowds of people at this pool. Well, we love this story because he healed this one guy. What about the crowds of people? What about all the other people that just Jesus didn't heal that day? If it, if it was his highest priority that nobody was sick, that's all he ever would have got done. He was investing in something deeper than that. We see the same thing later in the story after he heals him and he meets up with the guy again and he says, hey, now you are well, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That's not just some empty little shallow threat. He's reminding him there are worse things at stake here than you not being able to move around. There are worse things at stake here than you being sick. From an, I've met you where you are in the moment, but from an eternal perspective, there are worse things. Don't forget that. And John 11 is one of the hardest passages in the whole scripture to me. Because it really drama, dramatizes this different perspective Jesus has. And yet it really dramatically reveals his heart and how he meets us in the middle. John 11 is where he lets his friend Lazarus die. We're told that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were some of Jesus' best friends. Some of his most faithful disciples. Not the ones who followed him around. But they would stay with him whenever they went by. They show up several key places in the story of Jesus. In, in all of the Gospels. One way or another these guys show up. But at one point Jesus is a couple days walk away. And he gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. They've sent word asking him to come and heal him. And they've seen him heal. And they know he can. And they know he loves them. And Jesus does nothing for two days. For no reason that anybody can tell even all these years later, other than he knew something more than they knew. He finally starts walking and on the way, he finds out that Lazarus has already died. Or I think he already knew, but he's told along the way. There's that eternal perspective that doesn't make any sense at all. But when he gets there... When he gets there, they come out and they confront him. They basically are yelling at him. They're saying, Lord, don't you even care about us? If you had been here, our brother would not have died. But in that moment, he speaks comfort to them. He reminds them about the resurrection that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He, he reminds them of who he is. He comforts them. When Mary comes out, he's, it says he's angry, he's troubled, and he weeps. He's right there in the middle. There's that empathy. There's that comfort. And then he does something that is really amazing. He goes to the gravesite and brings the guy back to life. They didn't know he was going to do that. They didn't know how that was going to work. They didn't know that that would also be one of the triggers that started the final process that got Jesus killed. They didn't know that that final process that got Jesus killed would lead to him rising again and becoming the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They didn't understand this eternal perspective, but we can see both of those things happening at the same time. It's not either or, it's both and. Is this making sense? He's got the eternal perspective, but he does meet them right there in the middle. We see this in the example of the apostles as well. We see in Acts that both Peter and Paul had the miraculous gift of healing to such a degree that they also were able to bring a couple of people back to life. That there were moments when Peter would walk and just somebody, his shadow would cross them and they'd be healed. There were times when someone would touch them with a cloth and then go touch a sick person and the sick person would get well. 
But not everybody who came into contact with him got healed. And we know from Paul's writings that uh, when he first went to Galatia, he was sick the whole time. We know that he wrote to Timothy. And he said, you know, I know you have all these stomach problems. If I were him, I would have like touched a piece of cloth and mailed it to him. And said, hey, touch this piece of cloth. You'll be fine. That's not what happens. He says, hey, stop drinking only water and drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. There's another passage as he's wrapping up at the end of 2 Timothy where he says, oh, by the way, Tophimus isn't coming. He was sick and we left him in Miletus. Why didn't he heal Tophimus? I don't know. You see both and. You see the dramatic power of God when it needs to happen and you see other times when we would assume it needs to happen but it doesn't show up. One of the most dramatic examples is in Paul's own life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God uses Paul's thorn in the flesh to teach him some really powerful stuff. We're not sure exactly what that was but it was something physical that he was struggling with. He said three times he went to God and said please take this away. And every time God would answer him in the moment but not the way he wanted. He said my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And through that experience Paul learned more than any other way to be able to say and understand what he meant when he said when I am weak then I am strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that was more healing for him than if God would have just removed those symptoms instantly. Doesn't totally answer all of my questions. But again, it's not either or, it's both and the whole time. But let's not miss the obvious this morning. I want this to be as practical as possible. I want us to be able to take something that we go. And the obvious thing here is we must care for the sick. Let's say that out loud together. We must care for the sick. This is something Jesus told us to do. He said this is one of the differences between the sheep and the goats at the end. This is one of the differences between the people who make it and the people who don't. You, you, you can be a doctor your whole life and not be saved because we're actually saved by Jesus. And yet, those of us who are saved, there's some sort of a responsibility going on here that we cannot miss in the scriptures. We must care for the sick. And that's whether God ends up healing people or not. It's whether we understand his will or not. This is just the truth. So how do we do that? Well, as best as I can tell, I think we have to do it the way Jesus did. And that is, we've got to approach sickness from an eternal perspective. But we've got to meet people where they are in the moment. We must relentlessly reach out to those who are spiritually and emotionally and relationally and, of course, physically sick. Meet them where they are. Welcome them into the peace and the love and sometimes the physical healing even that God can give them let's talk about these four things really quickly and then again we're heading to as practical as I can possibly get this spiritual sickness what is that well that's that's basically sin Romans 3 23 and 24 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but all have the all have the opportunity to be healed by God in that. All of us are justified freely by Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17. I know you've heard that. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Those passages are not necessarily saying that anybody who believes in Jesus will never get sick. What those passages are saying is Jesus will save you from your spiritual sickness. Back in that passage we looked at a few minutes ago, Mark chapter 2, the the people saw Jesus go home with this guy Matthew and it freaked them out. They were like, how can he possibly make friends with a tax collector? Here's Jesus' reply. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. One of the few blessings that I've ever seen in any sickness anywhere, spiritual or otherwise, is we know it when we're sick, don't we? I mean, if you're really sick, you know it. And you know you need help. And you're desperate for any help you can get. And if somebody offers you help, you're listening. Spiritual sickness is the same way. There's a chance to actually reach out to the people when this happens. Second thing is emotional sickness. Emotional sickness. Proverbs 18.14 says, The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? We've all been there. I know there's been many times when I've been way more miserable for days or weeks or months because of something that's just, it's not, I'm not physically sick, there's just something else that's weighing on me. I'm sure I'm not the only one in that. And in John 14, notice how Jesus offers peace to his people. He says, I will give you peace of mind and heart. I will give you a peace that the world cannot give. And yet he says that, he says, because remember, I'm coming back for you. And in my father's house, there are many mansions. And he he comforts him by realizing, hey, it's going to get bad here. You're going to have many terrible things happen to you in this world. But that's not the end. And I've overcome the world. It's, again, eternal perspective meeting in the middle, meeting where we are, both and. We can offer that same thing to people, not in a glib way, not in a shallow way, but in an honest way. Then there's relational sickness. In Matthew 14, we see Jesus himself treating people in a healthy way relationally. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. There's so much going on there. It starts out where Jesus is going to be alone because John the Baptist just died and we see Jesus in the human part of him just grieving and needing some time to grieve and process this. But when he gets to where he's going, instead of getting that time, he realizes there's already a crowd there. And what, what, what that is always called is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. One of the details we miss is the first thing he did for all of them was heal them. He healed all of their sick. He took time. He's grieving emotionally. He's grieving spiritually. He's hurting himself. But in that moment, he realized, and he, he literally says this, this line from the Old Testament. He said, they are like sheep without a shepherd, and they need me. And he spends some time healing them. And then he feeds them. Remember, there's a list here. It's not just the sickness. It's just what we're focused on today. 
This is what it looks like. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, is such a beautiful picture of the church. This is an idea of how everybody shares everything and takes care of everything. One of the darker pictures of how things can go really wrong is in 1 Corinthians 11. We've spent a lot of time recently marinating in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Chapter 11, this is where Paul actually opens up this conversation about the body of Christ and how it works. And things had gotten so bad in Corinth that their communion time was this huge, massive party. And some people were getting way too much, and some people weren't even getting anything. And it just it was a dramatic example of how bad things had gotten in their version of the body of Christ. And he writes, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, And some have even died. There's so much going on there. He's talking about the actual body of Jesus. He's talking about this, the body of Jesus. And when he says weak and sick and dead, he's he's talking spiritually and emotionally and all those other ways as well. But I think he's also saying that sometimes we actually can get physically sick or physically die because of how disconnected, how divided, how broken we allow ourselves to become. But again, let's keep this as simple, as practical as possible. As we wrap up today, I want to focus on physical sickness. How do we care for the sick from a biblical perspective? It's going to have to come from all of these things we've been looking at. But let's see some of the stuff that the scripture tells us. James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Again, I've switched over to the Passion Translation at this moment. It says, Are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church... To come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. Notice there's a promise for healing. There's a command for prayer. Notice the lines are blurry. There's physical sickness. And oh, by the way, there's probably some sin in the middle of all that too. Let's get him healed from all of that. He continues, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. I think it's very appropriate that we pray for each other. I think it's very appropriate that we have special times of prayer. We offer that every Sunday now. Every single Sunday, there's people that will stand back there. If you come forward, people are watching. They will come and pray with you here. Uh, There are always, the phones are always open. Email is always available. We are always ready to try to pray with you. Our elders are available to pray with you. But this is something that all of us can do. But there's even more. And as we wrap up this morning, I want to give you the most, just do this, try this, application I've ever given you, okay? Uh, Before I do that, let me say there's a whole list of ongoing ministries in here. Your bulletin insert today, if you're listening to this or watching online, you should have a digital form somewhere wherever you got the audio that you're listening to. But there's a whole list of ways you can get involved and some clues about how some of those specific groups of gifts might be particularly Uh, able to to focus on those things more effectively. But we're going to get just this morning, I'm just going to give each one of those groups one thing and just see what happens. One one more quick review. 
Uh, just for our purposes, trying to get our hearts and our brains around this, we put uh, all of the different gifts into three categories. The Bible doesn't give us those categories. The Bible gives us the metaphor that we're the body of Christ and tells us what those gifts are and says that the Holy Spirit is in charge of who gets them and why. Okay, so he's not bound by our categories. But just for us, the senses are the ones, if you, those are the gifts that, that, are, that help us stay in touch with God. It help us stay in touch with each other. It help us really know what's going on in the world. No matter what everybody else is saying about it, those people have a clue. They have a supernatural ability to really know what's going on. They have, those are the gifts of communication between us and between us and God, between us and the world. The, the senses, like our bodies, that's what our senses and our bodies do. So those, those people are them. Uh, then we've got the core. And the core are the people that are leading the body. They're supporting the body. They're keeping everything going and making sure it all goes in the same direction. And the limbs are the people who go and do. They're the things that actually get stuff done. And again, that's usually all of those is all of us at some point in some way. But just this is where we go. And I just want to make sense that make sure that makes sense to you because I've got some specific challenges. Who in this room now thinks, after some, several weeks to study this, who do you think, where are the senses? Are you, do you have senses gifts? Raise your hand if you think you're some of those people. Okay? There's some of you. This is especially for you. I, I would love for you to offer empathy this week. We all have to offer empathy and comfort and healing, but I would love the people who feel like they have a sense they have this special gifting. I want you to offer empathy and specifically pray with someone. And under the present circumstances, maybe some people don't want you to pray with them in person. They don't want you to lay hands on them. They don't want you to be that close to them right this minute. But you can still pray with them. You could call them on the phone. You could FaceTime them. There's a lot of different ways that you could pray with them. Be present with them in any way they will let you be present. Seek God together. Take them to the throne room. Give God and those people some space where you can actually use those communication gifts that he's given you to actually hear from God and make sure God hears from you and you hear from each other. And whether that's physical or spiritual or emotional or relational sickness, that there's a chance for real healing. If you're a senses gift this morning, I challenge you this week, to pray with some people, be with them, and offer empathy in God's name. Where are the people that consider themselves the core? You've got leadership, you're givers, you are the people that kind of keep things going. Awesome. This is especially for you. Offer comfort. Again, we, we all have to offer all of those things, but I'd, I'd like to especially challenge you to offer comfort. Help someone reconnect. Maybe that's going to mean reconnect with God. This is, again, this is going to require you to listen to them. This is going to require you to really hear them. It's going to require you to show some empathy, okay? There's blurry lines, but this is where we're going with this. I want you to encourage someone. I want you to help them network. I want, to, I want you to help them connect with God and with some other people besides you. But start with you. Make that happen for them. In that context, you might see physical healing. You might see healing in all these other categories happen in the moment. You may not, but you will see healing happen because you met them that way. Who would consider yourself a limbs person? You like to do. You like to go and to do. Just get the job done. 
Okay, this is scary. Not, 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 not everybody has raised their hand. Every one of you has a spiritual gift. Every one of you in one way or another is put on this planet and renewed in the name of Jesus and gifted by the Holy Spirit to get something done. You need to find out what your gifts are and know that and own that and get it done. All of these things could happen for all of us, but here is for the limbs especially, offer actual healing. And by that I mean actually meet someone's physical needs. Many of you I know are in the medical profession. You're part of helping people heal that way. I know some of our young adults in the last several weeks have helped someone with a broken leg by walking their dog every day. You can buy medicine. You can mop their forehead. There's a lot of different ways, but if you're a goer or a doer, it's probably going to include empathy and comfort, and it's going to include prayer, and it's going to include all these lines are blurry. But if you're a goer or a doer, go and do something that actually blesses somebody who's sick. Well, we're about to wrap up this journey we got this morning, but this is really just the first couple steps down this journey to get more literal and more active than ever as a church. The body is on this journey together, and I hope you come with me. Here's where we're going to wrap up today. Uh, Mother Teresa was known not just as a wise old woman, a kind old woman, but as somebody who spent her entire life serving lepers in Calcutta, India. She did this every single day, knowing that every single day she was at risk of contracting leprosy. She knew that that could shorten her life, that could make whatever life she had left be really, really miserable. But she knew that there were more important things going on than whether she was sick or not. She saw this eternal perspective. I'd like to use a really awesome quote from her. It's very simple. It doesn't even have to do with sickness. It's just where I'd like our attitude to be as we wrap up this morning. Would you say this out loud with me this morning? Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not yet come. We have only today. Let us begin. One more time. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not yet come. We have only today. Let us begin. So again, my simple challenge to you is to actually write this down. Lord, I will offer blank to blank. I will offer empathy to George. I will offer comfort to Sally. I will offer healing to Jim. Are you with me? I, I want you to write this down. And I want you to try this this week. And this morning, whatever decision God is putting on your heart that might be public, Maybe you need to give your life to him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Maybe you want prayer. You want to come forward or you want to go to the back of the room and be prayed with and for. Whatever, if you'd like to join, officially join our, our church, whatever decision you might have to make this morning, would you take the first step as we stand and as we sing together? That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.